Our high school guidance counselor used to ask us what you would do if you had a million dollars. didn't have to work. And then invariably, whatever you'd say, that was supposed to be your career. So if you wanted to fix old cars, then you're supposed to be an auto mechanic. So what did you say? I never had an answer. I guess that's why I'm working at Inatech. No, you're working at Inatech because that question is bull to begin with. If everyone listened to her, there'd be no janitors because no one would clean up if they had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. Talking about millions of dollars. What would you do if you had a million dollars? I'll tell you what I'd do, man. Two chicks at the same time, man. We're living in a material world and I am a material girl. Or boy. Well, what about you now? What would you do? Besides two chicks at the same time? Well, yeah. Nothing. Nothing, huh? I would relax. I would sit on my ass all day. I would do nothing. Well, you don't need a million dollars to do nothing, man. Take a look at my cousin. He's broke, don't do If I had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. One more page, Section Jackson. I'm Tomo. Mr. Andrew on the board. SB Futures down 17. NASA Futures down 95. So we could be looking at the third day in a row sneaking down here after two huge up days, which still would leave us, I think, pretty seriously up on the week. But still, uh, uh, I, I was. Kevin, how are you? Uh, I too am up. Up on the week, up on up the day. Up on the week, yep. That's uh, it's a good thing. Uh, it was. Uh, I, I thought yesterday was actually uh, considering the the, the damn near route and bonds because they were down another two two ticks, almost two percent. Well, actually over two percent. Uh, the market really kind of hung in there to the idea that if the bonds were up again today, I thought we'd really run up. But bonds are down again today, so these interest rates are kind of relentless. Uh, I mean, uh, when you have a, just, <laughs> let's put it this way, simple economic theory, which that's what we are, we're all simple, means that for, uh, say, if you lend somebody money for a year, much less 10 years, a year, you should get some rate of interest for his use of your capital, and, oh, by the way, you should get the difference, what everybody thinks the difference in the value of whatever it is you're loaning in the meantime. So if you think the inflation rate is 5% and your interest rate is 3 uh, or two and a half, you should be getting seven and a half or eight, and we're still only getting. Let me get the number here. Even with the bonds going down like this, we're still getting only. Uh, Where's it? TN, TNX four. It's four point three. You know, so we're still not. I mean, that, these ten-year rates really have a ways to go, even if inflation stays around three percent or four, much less eight or nine. So it's, there's a lot of. Uh, Numbers come and clash in here, Kevin. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like it, except maybe 1982. That was a long time ago. I don't remember much of that. But uh, an article here talking about the leading economic indicators are down like four months in a row. Six months down, 2.8% for a six-month period. Um, you know, and we keep talking about recession, not recession. I think it's pretty clear that the economy is not in the best shape, and everybody says it is. I mean, uh, you can gross over it. You know, with, with the... The numbers that are of the inflationary numbers from the one percenters, or two percenters, or ten percenters, but you really can't. If you look at products themselves that the rest of the people are buying, I think they're down all over the place, don't you? I mean, it's. I don't. I mean, of these numbers, you can you can grab whatever you want out of these numbers, and the Fed's done that by inflating the place. But <coughs> so, but these guys are. Uh, here's a, a comment from uh, Joseph Lavornia. This is in a column by. A. Uh, Jeff Cox, who we, we quote a lot of his stuff, good writer from CNBC, we went from a Fed that was way too easy to be irresponsibly tight. Well, I don't think that uh, an interest rate of 3.5 is irresponsibly tight. 
but they have been they have been lowering the the balance sheet like they say not as fast as they say and the money supply is actually down for the last five months so you don't normally see that either so they have been uh definitely they're, they're, they're nowhere near expansive anymore there's no doubt about that uh, whether or not they're irresponsibly tight by going back to what I would consider to be normal but I don't you know again this is this is all this is all playing out uh Kevin and uh, uh it's you know, have you ever seen so many variables up in the air in the world in your lifetime? I, I don't think I have. I think the literal translation of irresponsibly tight is um, I didn't take them seriously, so I didn't uh, act according to predictions. Yeah, or or my stacks are down, and it's your fault. The well, the, but that's what I'm getting right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, the idea that, that the I mean, hu- we've been talking about this forever about them about them having you know uh, tightening. Um, and uh, of course, nobody believed them, and the Fed didn't give any reason to believe them for the longest time. Yep. Uh, nevertheless, uh, people got caught uh, unawares, and uh, now they're calling that irresponsibly tight. Well, anybody, I mean, the, the I don't know, I, I suppose if, if we had the technology, I'm sure somebody does, to go back to every one of the touts on TV and other places and the papers and the articles, everybody thought that the 40% run up in the market. Uh, during COVID, when the when the Fed was pouring forty percent more money into the into the market, everybody thought that you were a genius investor. Come on, <laughs> I mean, I, I I guess if I, uh, you know, I don't I don't know what. It, or, or or another way to put that is they 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 also thought it was um, an indicator of a robust economy. Yeah, uh, and uh, no, it was just an indicator of how <laughs> how monetary monetary policy works. Well, but plus you had. Um, well, they're all sort of like this, but Trump took it to the extreme. You had a president that did nothing but, uh, you know, boo-hoo or, or, or the, uh, you know, blow a trumpet from the highest mountain that, that the market going up was it was a, a indicator of how good of a job he was doing, which is pretty... Yeah, well, it was one of the things. He, he, he also, yeah. you know, was touting, uh, you know, unemployment rates and things like that as well. But, yeah, I mean, we've, we've seen that forever, um, you know, uh, where... Uh, um, Presidents like to uh, like to tout the market, and uh, you know how many times. Well, I don't know uh, how many times you've said it, but I've said it on on this very show uh, many a time that the market is not the economy, and uh, uh, they're they're related, but they aren't the same. And you know we we make that mistake at our own peril. Well, the in a lot of terms, in a lot of ways, it should be. When I say it should be. If you had, you know, well, I'm not going to go into my competition argument to do that too much, but if you had what I would consider to be a regular U.S. competitive economy, you wouldn't be in a situation where every industry had four firms and the fact that they could raise money and have a good year to the, to the detriment of other people <laughs> is not exactly, it, it wouldn't be something you would cheer. But right now, do you, you really do, they, they use the term, and it's really an ignorant term, but I'll use it anyway. Use the term a stock picker's market. Well, in an, in an inflationary situation, God, I saw this back in, when I was doing inflation stuff for Pullman in 1977, for God's sake. Uh, it, it, there, there are firms, there are, there are industries that absolutely benefit by inflation or are able to stay ahead of it. And there are industries that are concentrated enough where they have pricing power and they, and they, can, they can deal with it. And also, when you when you have an economy that's slower down, it's very hard for somebody to. It's it's harder and harder for people to, to get in 
the, the beauty of competition takes takes many different areas, and one of them is I'll, I'll use our industry for example, the brokerage industry. Um, there may have always been big firms back even when I was on a trading floor and before that in 1980-1970 but the barriers to entry the, the industry were really small I mean when we when we started PTI I basically was a trader on the floor and had five or six floor traders working for me they were smart people and I said okay wait a minute we're teaching everybody how to trade options we're doing a lot of seminars I was doing a lot of stuff for the CBOE and uh, we're teaching people how to trade op- options and the brokerage firms they go to they have no idea what options are, and they have no idea how to execute the orders, and they have nobody to talk to. I said, we should start a boutique sort of options firm. This is back when the OEX was still, you know, 50% of the trading in the, w- in the world, where our guys could call right down to the floor. We started a brokerage firm. Well, the CBOE sponsored us to take our tests, because you have to get a firm to sponsor you to, to, for a test. The CBOE did. So we all took our tests based on the CBOE, because we're all CBOE members. And we opened up a firm. Basically, with some phones and, and four people, and we, we hired one guy who knew how to run a back office, and we had a firm. There was basically no barrier to entry, other than, you know, well, I think we needed 100 grand or something, or 50, wasn't even that. Yeah, I was going to say, it was just the money to yeah. buy, buy your spot in the, in the exchange. No, no, I mean, uh, we, actually, we did have a seat on the exchange, PTI, but we didn't have to. Uh, we did, we, we just happened to, because we, had a, uh, we sponsored a broker down there. But the fact is, you could get in the industry easy. Well, now, every day, every single day, they make it harder and harder for somebody to enter the industry. I don't see how you could possibly, four people who have never been in the industry before, how you could start a brokerage firm now. I think it would be totally impossible. So, I mean, it, it, they make it very, very difficult to do anything. It's like, it's like the city. If you want to if, if you want to open up a, a restaurant, I mean, God, you're, you're a year and a half on, on, on getting permits and getting inspectors. I mean, they make it so difficult. So... If, any way you look at competition, it's it's bad, in my in my opinion. Even even if it's an industry, you should be able to get in. Well, let's, let's clarify: it's not that the competition is bad; it's it's bad that we killed yeah. competition. We've 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 made it very difficult for people to compete. So you know, we we wonder why. Gee, how come? We, we don't yeah, I, to, I just wanted to make sure we yeah. worded that properly. Yes, because it sounded like you said competition is bad. It's, no, I mean, we, and we, I know you didn't mean that. I no, I definitely did not. And it's you know and one thing I have learned, Kevin. It's not what you what you say is what people hear. So you obviously heard that I screwed up. Oh, no, I hear that all the time, Tom. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. I, I, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> but anywho, that's where we are. So we have all, all these conflicting. We've got leading indicators down. We've got uh, some numbers up for some firms. I mean, and and, I, and I honestly, Kevin, I don't, I don't know what to do. I mean, if 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 somebody dropped us in the our group into the Oval Office tomorrow, every single industry needs to be taken to the woodshed. Not every single one, but damn near everyone. Okay, how are we going to make it so 10 years from now we can have seven airlines instead of two? We've got four now, but if we don't do anything, we'll have two, right? Uh, how, how is it that we get three more baby formula companies? You can go down every every industry except farming and, and bars, and, and basically it needs to be opened well, farming up. Is, farming is very corporate, too. Uh, there's still a, a, it's it's one of the most competitive there's still family farms, but yeah, it's pretty corporate. Well, but but I, it's it's big enough to the extent that one person's actions does not affect the market. That's what I, I mean. It, that's about as good as you can get. What I'm saying is, if, is, is if one farmer says, uh, even a big farmer says, "Screw these prices, I'm not growing corn this year," 
you know what? Nobody else even notices. Do they? I mean, what? I, I don't think. You know, so you're right. It, it's more it's more corporate than it was, especially when we have stuff like. I mean, and, and and every time that happens, Kevin, it's it's government involvement, and not even. I'm not going to blame. Well, and that's it because I don't object to corporate uh, uh, to to corporateism, and I don't object to um, you know. And I know over time that industries do tend to consolidate. Um, you know that that exists, but you're right. It's when government is involved in it that it's uh, it, it winds up being a very dysfunctional process. Well, when I say involved, when when Trump tried to screw the Chinese, and that <laughs> first of all, out of all the things he did. His his recognition that the deal with China was not even, which most the other people I think most people recognize, but he tried to do something about it. Oh, he went about it in such a half-ass way that I think he almost did more damage than. But I certainly agree with the sentiment, his sentiment that somehow or another this is a bad deal we have with these people. But when he when he did that, and then and all of a sudden we weren't shipping soybeans over there, it was a dramatic hit on the on the soybean people in the northern part of the of the soybean range, meaning the Minnesota, Dakotas, uh, Wisconsin. Because all that stuff went on rail to Seattle or Portland or the hell it goes and went right to China. And so those, those, those particular farmers had a couple of really bad years, and I think a lot of them, I think, didn't make it. So now if one corporation goes in and scoops all that up, that's not my idea of competition. You know, if they can go borrow at 2% when nobody, nobody gives the guy who owns the farm a loan at all or it's 10%, that that's different. I don't I don't know what you even call that, but uh, it, to me it's not free. Do you? I mean, is it? <laughs> well, w- whatever it is in that case, um, I mean, trade. You know, trade policy is foreign policy. Yep. So in in that case, it was a foreign policy decision, not a business decision per se, and uh, and as a result, yeah, you had people um, who had to live in the in the business decision world uh, that were knocked out of it. Does that make sense? Right, but I'm not... As, an ex- as a way of say, uh, wording it? Right, but I, I'm not into, as you know, and you know, if you accuse me of being as liberal, I'm not really into government largesse to, a, to an extent that we have it. I think it's crazy. But we basically... No, I don't think, I don't think uh, government largesse is a liberal concept. It's just something that... Uh, um, it, it's just something that's been co-opted by, you know, crazy politicians. Just remember, even Caesar couldn't... Uh, decrease the dole. Yeah, but but I'm saying if if that were to happen, I mean, say, say you and I are sitting in the Oval Office and we go, man, we got to do this with these Chinese guys, but it's really going to cause them to not buy soybeans from us or something, something. And I'm, immediately, one of us should say, okay, who is that going to hurt? And I think we should get if we had a if I don't know who he is or she, I bet it, somebody has a brain. First thing you do is pick up the phone, talk about showing my age call my secretary of agriculture because I know I got one of them, president. And I said, "Hey, get your fanny over here. Let's talk about this." All right, now if we if there's a Chinese boycott on our soybeans to the extent they can because they need soybeans. Who who am I going to hurt if I do that? Now, the question is, and the, the, that person should say, "Well, it looks to me like it'd be your your soybean farmers in this tier. The rest of the people can just go to New Orleans, they're not going to be affected." Okay, then. How can we help them? Well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go stuff money in their pocket, but I'm gonna make absolutely sure that if somebody needs a loan to carry their farm, 
I'm gonna, at least I can do is make sure that they get the same rate as some corporate raider would get coming in and doing it and taking their farm from them. I don't think that's largesse to it. I'm just trying to even the playing field there for a little bit. If they still can't... Yeah, and, they, and I, I think that, you know, I think that makes perfect sense. But we, we don't do anything like but that. But we don't, see, we don't, we don't think through policy here. No. You know, we, uh, you know, there, there is no idea that what, there are consequences, whether unintended, there are certainly predictable consequences, whether oh, they're sure. intended or not, um, there's, they're obvious and predictable, and yet, um, yet we do we do the wrong damn thing anyway you know that's covid policy isn't it yeah aren't the outputs of that and the severity of the outputs of all of the covid stuff that we did uh is is that was that not predictable of course well, it was i as i as i've seen these crises go one one after another kevin the resolution trust when you and i were living through it i thought well you know this this just happened but now that it's it's we're like the third or fourth crisis down the road and there's always the same winners, there's always the same losers, and the winners always seem to be the buddies of people in politics. I'm not so sure that they're not all, that somebody doesn't actually pick up the phone, <laughs> Secretary of Agriculture, <clears throat> instead of helping the farmers, call up three or four people, buzzards that they know, and say, hey, this is about to happen. If I were you, I'd get my ass up there and start buying these places. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure at all that that's not what's happening. And by the way, if you want loans, we'll give them to you cheap, because it sure did in the Resolution Trust. Just saying. Okay. So I don't know what the we have. Uh, we're gonna have uh, Lou calling in at six thirty for a few minutes, Kevin. You always like you two. You like ganging up on me. The reason is, last night I stopped with my guys, my my uh, cartel, as it is, and uh, one of the dudes dropped in from. Uh, he's from Ukraine. Works for the CBOE now. And nice guy. The guy's got like three degrees from University of Chicago. Believe it or not, um, but he uh, was talking about these these drones over in. Ukraine that are causing all kinds of problems. They're hitting uh, power stations and stuff, and they're evidently from Iran. So my question, yeah, I saw that on the news. Yeah, so my question is, who the hell is guiding these things? Don't you don't you need to? They're, they're, they're I, I, I think what they found was that the uh, uh, Iranians were on site training people how to use the drones. So, well, my question is, uh, I'm going to show my age here. Remember the movie uh, Clear Pl- Present Danger? With it when they had the smart bombs. For those of you don't those of you who don't know what a smart bomb is, if, if it's it's a bomb that actually can guide itself, but it needs it needs a target. So they when they when they blew up that drug dealer's place, wherever the hell it was in Columbia at the beginning of the movie, they had a guy go there in a, in, a, in an old truck, and he put a a laser target. And like the Ford Bronco in the driveway. Yeah, homing, homing device or something. No, they, they, could just, they just shined it on a thing from a distance. <laughs> anyway, so, so the smart bomb could hook on to that and, and, and basically flew and blew up the truck outside these people's homes and blew, blew the hell out of the home, too. Uh, so and I'm sure we're way beyond that. But now these drones, when you say they're a drone, okay, well, that's fine. But somebody has to guide these things 50 miles or however long it is to the... To the to the uh, electrical grid or whatever. Now, are they using satellite? Are they using an airplane? Are they using people on the ground? Well, Lou's going to try and tell us how you can do all this stuff. Because I'm sitting there going, okay, I got a drone, but how, how do I get the drone from my house to blast Kevin's house? If I don't have a satellite, I don't, I don't do something else. You know, are, are, are we reaching the stage where, you know, Israel's going to give these guys a plane to, to shoot up and knock out a satellite if that's what's doing it? That would be an acceleration, but 
Hey, you know, if you're if you're dead in Ukraine, any acceleration is a good acceleration, I would think. Uh, but I did, but I mean, this is now the Iranians are joining the war here. Is this just becoming World War One or what? Well, and 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 so my question, you know, regarding the Iranians is, why in the hell are we still trying to negotiate a deal with them? Well, there's all you always want a deal, no matter who it is. I guess there's some people from that. And we negotiated Salt One when we hated the Russians, right? We still hated them when we were done it, signing it. Isn't, it isn't that you hate them. It's that it's the, in the middle of negotiations, when yeah. we're supposed to be establishing good faith with each other, uh, instead, they are, uh, um, they are at cross-purposes, you know, into very intentionally at cross-purposes uh, with what the United States is trying to accomplish. Now, you know, we, we, I, I remember having the conversation with you way back at the beginning of this conflict, and, and it was... You know what? What would be the ideal outcome of this? Uh, and I remember thinking at the time it's probably a long shot at that point, but a um, uh, a settlement, a negotiated, you know, a negotiated settlement would probably be the best for everybody involved. Uh, Ukraine may not like, you know, maybe a bitter pill to swallow for some of them. Um, and so maybe I'm way off base here, but we haven't even tried to negotiate. Uh, you know, to end this conflict, uh, and and so if I were if I'm reading U.S. policy, it is to do everything it can to uh, to undermine Russia, which is interesting um, because I distinctly remember President Obama saying to Mitt Romney, Mitt Romney, the '80s called, and they want their foreign policy back. Yeah. Well, um, it, it hasn't and really now, and now we're Russia focused again. It, well, that's because you know, Putin. It, we're just it, the, the shifts here and the, and the lurching back and forth in policies. It's just it's really strange. Um, you know, we want to negotiate in the Middle East, but we don't want to negotiate in uh, Eastern Europe. Uh, we, you know, we uh, we don't worry about the Russians. Well, we we're, we're focused on the Russians. You know, I, I have no idea what we're trying to accomplish here. Well, and, I think people that would be my my big bitch here is you know I, I would think that we'd want the hostilities to end and we're not doing anything to make the hostilities end. Uh, the comment last night from the gentleman from Ukraine is, it seems like the West is giving us just enough to survive but not enough to win. It's sort of like that's how welfare works. Yeah, <laughs> you know people are people people are on welfare. They they get enough to uh, survive but not enough to thrive. Right, I don't and I don't know. There, there does seem to be, it, it's somewhat of the personality of the of the people who are, are sort of in charge. I mean, uh, I think, uh, I mean, I don't know what George Bush. We never get a chance to really get his view against. But the Russians were quiet for a while, so in, in our in our, in, in our mentality, uh, we're, we're going to be if they're quiet, they're, they're sight out of mind. We got other problems, even though the problem probably never really went away. I mean, Putin hasn't changed, and maybe he's gotten more. More desperate as he's gotten older, and he's he's on drugs all the time, and he's not, you know, running around playing hockey like he used to. Maybe he's maybe he's well, seen. And, a, and he'd like he'd like to reestablish the, uh, um, you know, a two, as much as as much as possible, reestablish the Soviet Union, much like, um, you know, the Iranians or uh, um, uh, would like to reestablish a caliphate. Well, and I, but the Iranians, the best thing for the world would be if, if the revolution over there wins. But I don't, I don't know what chance I give that. But I mean, yeah, well, we don't feed that either. So you know, we're, uh, we. I, all I'm saying is the inconsistencies in our foreign policy are just really strange, 
and and of course they've shifted back and forth so dramatically um, from the Obama administration to the Trump administration back to the uh, back to whatever you want to call the current administration. Well, I, I think that the current admin one thing that you can't accuse the current administration of. I mean, they, they probably would have made the same mistakes in their time frame was was that Obama, you know, somehow thought that for whatever reason that the Russia should stop being a threat, and I and he had people around him that we weren't going to focus on that. And then and Trump came in, and, and all he did was, was, was beat up and down on Europe for not coming up with money for NATO. Well, then when NATO got increasingly weaker under Trump's administration, even though we might have gotten stronger, the, the, the NATO group was, was seen by the U.S. as almost like we were damn near pulling out. Uh, so Putin obviously saw some sort of a, it might be a combination of his age, his whatever, somehow or another he saw an opportunity. Now, I'm not going to blame that all on Trump, now, at least Biden, since he's been there, is, is, I think, under no delusion that Putin is a good guy and this isn't happening. I mean, at least we are, we, we, he, he'd be, he, how could he not be focused over the last two years? We, it's right in front of his face. See, he almost doesn't have, the, uh, doesn't have the chance to make the same mistakes Obama and Trump did because it's, it's right there. I mean, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't have the chance to, to not worry about the... Uh, you know, the, the guy's not learning how to land the airplane because as soon as he gets into the office, the, the building goes down. He has to focus, right? Yeah. Well, and, and you know, where I'm going with it, Tom, is that, um, you know, we, we should want some kind of settlement here that ends and this. And that's not what we're doing. But what, what is, um, well, what, what is now, the, right now, Russia wants Ukraine. And Ukraine wants, now, I guess you could give them a couple of pieces of Ukraine, but if you do that, uh, does that mean that all they're going to do is wait till you're out of office and ten years from now, the minute they sense weakness, they're going to have the rest of it again? I mean, I don't know. I think they sense weakness now, which is why they made the move. Well, they, they did, but now I think they're finding that that they uh, it's not as weak as they thought. I, I get that feeling. I, mean, I don't know. We'll probably could. Yeah, right? well, uh, well, we can. I, I'll be interested here, Lou's take on it because. You know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking that uh, um, Russia is trying to, um, basically, they're trying to buy time right now, um, because when it when it gets to the bad weather, they think they can outlast the uh, uh, Ukrainians, uh, and when the weather gets poor, um, they won't be able to do it. So they're they're kind of banking on winter. Now I don't know. I, I don't know if they can outlast them because I don't know if Russians. Uh, uh, military is going to put up with uh, the miserable conditions of winter either. Yeah, I'm not so sure, but who wins on that? We'll see. SP yeah, Futures down 14. I don't, I don't think he has loyalty. NASDAQ Futures down 76. When we get back, we should have Mr. Lou with us. Should be interesting. Be right back. Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The Control Freak's Guide to Life, Money, and Probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. 
Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands. But you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks. Jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here. Right now. Right here, right now, right now. Well, and welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom on the board. SP Futures down 13, NASDAQ Futures down 72, Dow Futures down 106. Big mover last night. I won't say this morning, I'll say last night because it was last night, and then we're going to have a, uh, maybe Kevin or, or uh, Carl opine on this. Uh, Snapchat, which was 65 hours like a year ago, is down three bucks, down 30 percent to 777 last night after earnings. Ouch! I mean, that's a that's a huge move for a stock that's like 11 bucks. Uh, anyway, uh, so that that is not good. Over in Asia, the Nikkei down 116.4 percent, Shanghai up 3.1 percent, Hang Seng down 69.4. So uh, not much going on over there, but the Hang Seng cannot get an update. In one update this week, maybe Monday when the rest of the world was up, but they still keep dribbling down, dribbling down. Yesterday, uh, Dow was down 90, S&P down 29, Nasdaq down 65. So a down day mostly centered in the, in the S&P, more so than in the other ones, which is somewhat unusual. Uh, Euro, uh, DAX down 173, 1.4%. FTSE down 52.8%. CAC around down 95, 1.6. So pretty heavy down in Europe. Actually, CAC around is under 6,000 there at 59.93. Uh, bonds. Up another three basis points, 4.26. The 10-year, 
The Bund uh, up seven base points, 2.47. Uh, Japan unchanged at 0.25. They're always at 0.25. Makes you think they maybe want it there, you think? Oil up 39 cents, 84.90. Brent up 41 cents, 92.79. Natural gas down 20 cents, 5.15. Well, you'd never guess there was going to be a super cold winter in Europe or other places. Natural gas goes down every day. Arbob up 1 cent, 2.66. Uh, gold down 6.40, 16.30. Gold cannot get a bid. Silver down 35 cents, 18.33. Copper down 2 cents, 3.38. Uh, Bitcoin down 64, under 19,000, 18,993. Probably don't need that to go down to like 15,000 and it cause all kinds more trouble. We don't need any more trouble. Uh, we've got the U.S. dollar. We've got the, the euro dollar is down again. The euro is down again, 36 points, a 0.97. The pound is down a full, a full percent to 1.11. It's one of the reasons why gold is down because the dollar is up again. Andrew, what do you got for us, Traffic Weather Sports? All right, it is 637 here in Chicago on Tuesday, October 21st. For last night in sports and Thursday night football, the Cardinals won against the Saints, Saints 42-44. And last night in MLB, a postseason game ended with the Astros victorious against the Yankees 3-2. Now over to weather. In Chicago, it is currently cloudy at 43 degrees with a high of 73. And in Phoenix, it's mostly clear at 67 degrees with a high of 90. Now for Chicago traffic, thankfully there's no major accidents to report. However, over on the Dan Ryan, the ramp to the outbound Stevenson is limited due to one, down to one lane due to repairs from an earlier, earlier accident. And otherwise, traffic is building on the inbound Stevenson, Eisenhower, Jane Adams, and the Dan Ryan. That's all I got. Back to you, Chief. What do you mean? What about the accident we went by? Oh, it, well, there is one more to report then. If only I knew what those roads were. <laughs> Armitage and Kingsbury. <laughs> Two cars were in the same spot at the same time, seemingly at very high speed. The bumper and everything else, the whole, the whole intersection was just strewn with stuff, and the fire department was there, and I don't think they were going 30 miles an hour, Andrew. I'm just, just saying. What do you think? No, I don't know. It, it looked it looked pretty bad from the back of it. <laughs> yeah, the guy's, the guy's truck looked like I got hit by a semi, for God's sake. Do we have Lou? I'm here. Can you hear you? Yeah. How do you read me? We got you. We got you, and we got Kevin. Uh, two things last night, Lou. Uh, one was, uh, where did these this Iranian skill set come from? Who exactly is running the things? Where do they get their targeting? And the other comment from the gentleman from Ukraine was, we seem to be getting just enough to survive, but not enough to win. What do you pick? Take those, whatever order you want. Okay. Uh, well, the, the technology that's used in these things is, is wide, widely available commercially. Um, you can buy, and have you ever, have you ever flown a, a commercial drone, Chief, or ever seen one? I, I, when they first came out, the guy across the street from Audrey had one, so I flew it for like five minutes and I didn't want to wreck it, so I handed it back to him. Okay. But I know she uses so, it for, so. she uses drone guys to do all the, the uh, pictures on, on houses that have property and all that stuff now, and drone guys routinely do that, but I don't know how those guys would target that drone 10 miles away to somebody else's house if they weren't standing right there well it's a it's a combination it's it's basically the same technology so so i i my oldest son has a has a off-the-shelf drone that he he flies for fun and uh, i watched as he stepped outside at, at my house here in denver and sent the thing uh basically it flew it as far as it would fly, I think close to a mile, almost a mile away. And when it lost the control signal from his uh, handheld controller, it simply turned around 
and automatically flew itself right back and hovered about uh, 15 feet over us, uh, doing exactly where we are. So it it they're using us. They're using something called GLOSDOS, which is the is the Russian GPS system to to navigate, and and generally our GPS and the Russian GLOSDOS system and China's got a version too. Uh, those things have a civilian mode, which is what we use when we're driving around with our with our cars or boats or or even our uh, you know our drones, and then they've got a military mode, which which gives you much higher accuracy, and that's presumably what these these Shahed uh, drones are are using. And, and so the technology that you you use to fly that little commercial drone right back to to a spot you know ten feet over your head, it's the same you, you, you know it's the same technology. You can just take that, transfer it directly, and and you put it into the you put it into the drone, and then instead of having it launch. And return to to you. You put in a set of, of Glosnos coordinates, and you tell it hit that. Um, it's not perfect. There are uh, you know there are going to be errors, which is one of the reasons why you see those things hitting apartment buildings occasionally. Uh, they'll they'll miss a signal, but um, that the, the technology is readily available. It's carrying about uh, eighty pounds of explosive. Um, they're they're cheap. They're, they're, as I said, they're autonomous. I've seen uh, a reference to swarming technology, but I'm not, I'm not sure the Iranians have that in there, but that also is commercially available. A swarm uh, attack is when you launch these things autonomously and they talk to each other in flight. And so as they are, as they are talking to each other in flight, you might have four or five designated against a single power station. And so as these things talk to each other in flight, you see one of them go in at one building, and uh, the others then say, okay, that guy's gone here, so I'm going to attack these nodes. And, and they, actually, they actually adjust themselves as, they're, as they're, they're flying into the target. They can accommodate, they, they accommodate four losses. So if one of, the, one of them gets shot down, the other, the other three would say, okay, we don't know. This guy's gone, so we have to change our attack pattern to hit these targets now instead of the ones we were originally programmed for. Well, I've never seen a drone that um, can carry 80 pounds of of uh, explosive. I mean, I, when I was playing, well, I couldn't carry two pounds or about uh, two well, ounces. Yeah, a small camera. Well, well, yeah. I mean, it's just a matter of scale. You you scale the thing up. It's launched. The Shaheds are launched off a truck. I mean, they're they're big. You know, they're I don't know, eight or nine feet uh, across at least. So they uh, they launch from a truck, a, a little rocket pushes them up to uh, to altitude, and then they've got like a reciprocating, I won't say a lawnmower engine, but but something about the size of a lawnmower engine. They weigh 450, 500 pounds. Really? And so yeah, and so they've got an engine in them and fuel. I think most of the weight is fuel, and they can fly for up to fifteen hundred miles. And and you just you know they're cheap. Relatively cheap. What happens to our GPS so, system, even ours, if the satellite above us goes out? It's it's it just it's down, right? Uh, yeah, and and if you can, and so so the way you defeat these things, you know, you see that you see the Ukrainians out there shooting with uh, with rifles and and shotguns and things like that. I mean, you can knock them down. They only fly about 100 miles an hour, so you you can knock them you can knock them down with a rifle. This dude, uh, this dude I met last night had a picture. 
from one of his Ukrainian buddies of one of the rifles they're using from that. It looks like a an elongated uh, sniper's rifle with a tripod. It's got to be heavy as hell. Yeah. But it but it, it, it it's a it's a repeater. It, it actually uh, can re- can shoot more than one shell. So they use that to target these things. But I guess my question is, yeah, what the most effective the most effective way to knock it down is to degrade its guidance system. You jam you jam the GPS signal. If you jam the GPS signal, you know it will. I assume it's got some kind of programming that says, "Okay, well, I'm going to fly, I'm going to fly to this area," or it will loiter. You know, it'll it'll go into a circling pattern where where it'll it'll circle until the GPS system signal comes back. So that that's one way of attacking it. The other way of attacking it is to use a and, and this is one of our systems a microwave uh, broadcaster that emits a tight a relatively tight beam, although not that tight because you're sweeping a wide area of microwaves that will fry the electronics on the inside of the aircraft or at least damage its ability to receive signals from the, from the GPS receiver. GPS signals are not very strong. They're relatively easily jammed. And, uh, and that, that's, I mean, that's another way of doing it. Now, there are, there are backup systems that, that you, you put on more sophisticated drones that would also incorporate an inertial guidance system that when the GPS system is lost, the inertial system then takes over. Well, the, how many satellites does the Russians have in orbit over Ukraine? Why don't we just take those out? Why didn't somebody take those out? Well, that, that, that gets real interesting. At that point, then, you're, you're, are you committing an act of war with that? Well, an act of war where the guy's blowing my place up. I think he already did. Yeah, but the Ukrainians don't have the ability to take those down. Uh, we would have to take them down. They could, if, they, if they bought an old F-15... I think they could probably do it. Nope. Nope. That's that F-15 no, shot no, that you were referring to. not a satellite. Well, no. F-15, we, we've shot down a satellite with an F-15, but it was a low-Earth orbit satellite. The Glossnaz system, like ours, are at 22,600 miles. Okay, so they're up there. stationary orbits. All right, so, so you can't so get them. So you're not going to shoot point. it down. In fact, I don't know. I don't know anybody that's demonstrated the technology to shoot down a a, geos, a geosynchronous satellite, um, they're up, as I said, they're up pretty high, but I mean, theoretically, you could do it, but, but that's an act of war, Chief. And, and, and again, you got to remember, like we talked about yesterday, the, 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 we're walking a bit of a tightrope here, all of, all of NATO is, with respect to how far we can go before the Russians believe they are justified in tossing a, a nuclear weapon into the, into the fray. Well, and... And I, I will tell you, you know, everybody's talking about, you know, well, the Russians will they'll use a test shot and they'll detonate a weapon to demonstrate resolve. I'm not so sure. You know, I, I always, I told you, I reiterated this story one time on the air, and and I know you're you're a big belief in anecdotal stuff, but this actually reflects what Soviet doctrine was. I had a long talk with a with a Russian retired Russian lieutenant colonel. He and I were both LCs and. Um, so we had a, we had a chance to, to chat a little bit, and when I was working there, and he, you know, he told me we always sort of laugh about about the, the way your strategic doctrine with your weapons, your nuclear weapons, was was developed and, and looks. He goes, you're, you're too hesitant. We thought we were, you were too hesitant to use them, and I said, well, once you cross the nuclear fire break, it it's all over. And he said, well, if you believe that. Then, then creeping up on it is a mistake. He said, "This is not like one of your westerns, where a guy walks into a bar and somebody insults insults the guy 
and then and then you know somebody throws a drink at him, and then somebody breaks a bottle and shakes it at him, and then finally some they pull their guns. In Russia, you pull your guns right away, and that's what would happen if we're going if we're think, if we think it's necessary to go nuclear. We're not going to go nuclear with just one detonation somewhere. We're we're going to go whole hog. And and I I toss that out there, you know, not not to not to say that this is you know something that's going to happen because I'm not Joe Biden uh, at a fundraiser. But I am tossing it out there to say that the Russians do not think about these things the way we do, and it's a mistake for that for us to look at this as some kind of incremental, um, you know. By the way, I've got I've gotten a message from you that you got to think like the other person. By the way, that was a uh, uh, Don Corleone's strength, according to Michael, right? That he always put his his mind in the mind of the other guy. But if, if see if que- Kevin has a question, you're saying. But I do want to. I, I don't. I don't. As, as as you start talking about the rules of warfare. God, I'm going to go really off the off the plank on this one. It's sort of like uh, uh, when when men fight. Years and years ago, when I was a kid, I read this. When men fight, they got all these rules of engagement. When w- women fight, there are no rules of engagement. You're in a fight, you want to win. It's like, it's. I mean, I'm sure that's changed as time goes by, and uh, and and things have. The society is more civil, or we think it's more civilized. But to me, if 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 Russia goes to Iran, Tom, Tom, and, that's pretty much how I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but if, if Russia goes to Iran and buys shit, you, you want to fight? Uh, let's fight. That's, yeah, uh, that's about a winner and loser. You yeah. want to you want a problem solved? That's a different issue. Well, I mean, these guys are going to Iran. They're buying some stuff. Now, is, is that a, is that a uh, an act of war with Iran? This idea that we're, we're parsing this, that we we can't sell them an F-15 if they could take out the satellite to do so. That's an act of war. But a, going to a Iran, direct, to, a direct know. attack, a direct attack by us on Russian assets would be construed as an act of war. Okay, but we have not we have not engaged in direct attacks on Russia. What's what we're doing right now is very similar to what the Soviets did in Vietnam. And in fact I we've talked about this right. too. And, and and no I haven't heard this reference from anybody else, so you're here and you're first folks. This is exactly what the Soviets did in Vietnam. They they put advisors on the ground, they advised the North Vietnamese on how to set up their air defense system. They tested a number of their weapons against us. They provided lots of high-end and high-technology stuff to North Vietnam and, and trained them how to do it and helped them operate it. And in some cases, actually flew their aircraft. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But, but, but you know, well, how we, would you? we were very careful. We were very careful not to publicize that, the fact that there were Russians and, and, and or Chinese that may have been involved in flying some of those jets. But, but the idea that, that we, you know, that we... We could supply Ukraine uh, to the to the hilt with, with these weapons is something that you know we saw with with the uh, with the Soviets in Vietnam, and this is turnabout. What we didn't do, or what they didn't do in Vietnam, is provide the North, the North Vietnamese with weapons that would have allowed them to reach out and attack our bases in Thailand or to attack uh, attack our vessels in the in the Gulf of Tonkin. Well, and, and so so how do you question, just- you know, the Ukrainians, the Ukrainians are the Ukrainians are fighting for their lives. Of but, course, they're going to want. They're gonna right, want but in, in this this choreography of who gets to do what with who, where do you put this this little the recent antics by Iran? Where where does that fit into this choreography? Well, I mean, it's it's Iran's Iran supplying Iran supplying an enemy, and they put they put people on the ground. That that but remember, we are not in conflict with Russia. Okay, so. Everything that happens has to happen through the Ukrainians. 
And, and if the Iranians want to put the Iranians want to put guys on the ground, then then they are legitimate subjects of attack by the Ukrainians. If if we can get a, a HIMARS system or something like that, or or some other kind of way to get them with, with uh, you know infiltrating people with bombs or truck bombs or whatever, but they are subject to direct attack by the Ukrainians. I mean, we might do some we might do some surreptitious stuff to Iran. I mean, we've already we've already frozen up a bunch of their assets. But remember, this administration wanted to get into bed with Iran, just like the Obama administration, and they they wanted to they really wanted to get that deal done. And Biden's people were making all kinds of offers to the Iranians, including well, giving them a lot of cash, which we believe has now been has now been pumped. Uh, into this into this effort to make these these, uh, these weapons. So, yeah, that whole situation so I, there I, I was pretty messed all, up. I throw all that out there for you. This is one of the reasons why the Saudis, by the way, are furious at, at Uncle Well, Trump. but I mean, the Saudis, I, I never trusted those guys. To me, it's a toss-up almost between them and Iran. I mean, I Not even close. Well, it, it could be someday. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I... I, can, is there any chances, Kevin? Why don't you take over and ask a little couple of questions because well, you know your hand there. First of all, it, it, it's not even close because at least we don't have a Saudi government that's hostile to the United States. Uh, that's exactly right. Do, do we, no, do, they totally. They they may not. They're not nice people, um, and, uh, and and but you know they're, uh, they're they are not openly hostile to the United States like the Iranian government is. So that's a, a that's a pretty substantial difference. More, moreover, the Saudis are the Saudis are not acting to wipe Israel off the face of the map. Right, right. I, I get and, it. And chief, chief, you don't remember the Iranians? The Iranians have been working to degrade Saudi oil manufacturing equipment for for at least two years. The Iranians conducted a direct attack on a Saudi oil major Saudi oil refinery. Well, my, I'm going to pull back, and I know I, I know I misspoke, but what I in the back of my mind was. I think the Iranian people someday, somewhere, will shed these people, and the Iranian people are not America haters. I don't think. That's, well, that's where I was coming I, from. I, I don't know whether they'll ever shed the uh, they'll ever shed these people without without a lot of outside help. But it looks like it looks like they've got their their female population up in arms. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, but anyway, so so these drones. I mean, I mean, the, the the way to attack these drones is to is point what's called point defense, where you you shoot them down, or or an area defense where you deny the where you deny the uh, you know the Bosnos navigation to them. And the question is, when you do that, you know, are there other are there other effects? What do they do? Do they just dive into the ground willy nilly? Do they do they circle? Uh, Kevin is exactly right. Uh, Putin, Putin. You know, we talked about this yesterday. Putin is waiting for winter. He's degrading their power capabilities so they can't heat their homes. He's he's uh, you know going to he's cut gas off to the west so that um, people are going to people are going to freeze this winter in, in Western Europe. And and uh, you know he's now he's not going to wait it out. He's saying okay fine let's see how, how see how your principles hold up when it's you know when it's zero degrees outside. Well, I mean it's it's going to be interesting to see because. Uh, you can't cave into that either, really. I mean, you, you don't want to. Well, well once, I mean, once I mean, you've gone down that path, yeah, it's it's pretty hard to back off it. But um, but I won't be surprised if at least some of the European countries do. Well, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I mean, uh, you know, when you're 
when you can't get your house temperature above 60 degrees and you've got kids shivering in your in your you know in their beds and in, in your living room and and you're cutting down as the germans are doing right now i, remember, yeah, I mentioned this yeah they're, they're cutting down to some of their old growth forests to burn you know, when when you're when you're doing all that, and you've got a powerful green movement in your government, which is just another indication of the idiocy of Europe, uh, you 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 may you may have to respond and say, you know what, we can't we we can't continue the support. We need we need gas. And again, this goes back. You know, these dominoes start falling. This goes right back to the fact that we we are not. Yeah, but how are those how are energy, those energy independent and can't and can't ship stuff to them? How does how does that? Well, first of all, why is natural gas down to under six bucks in in this world, which is insane? I mean, that, that's an incredible counter cyclical to what we're talking about. But how would those negotiations even start? Putin, you can have whatever you damn well please, all worldwide. Just turn my gas back in. How, how, how does that? How does that? How does that discussion even start? Uh, well, I, I think if you if you look at Germany or someplace like that, the discussion would be more along the lines of, "Okay, we'll go back to neutral here." Okay, we won't we won't support it. We'll shut up. We'll, uh, um, you know, we'll uh, uh, we'll go Sergeant Schultz on them, which seems appropriate to the Germans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's that's. I was not even. I did not even get up today. Yeah, they, they chief. The, the German, the German Chancellor picks the phone up and he calls Vladimir Putin at the Kremlin. You don't think they know that number? I'm sure they do. So, yeah, it's you know, just call him Ricky. He hasn't lost that number. Well, he, I mean, he, uh, he can make the phone call directly. I, 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 all right, I get the part where we're not going to directly attack. Which, which Russia. by the way, which by the way, then raises the interesting question of who actually did bomb bomb Nord Stream, because you know, if it was still intact, this would be an option with Russia. Whoever blew it up did not want that to be an option. I'm going to say we might have our name on all, we might have our fingerprints all over that. I would love, I would love to think we were that Machiavellian, but, but not, not with the, not with this administration. Well, the, uh, Trump, so I, yes. One, 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 yeah, one final <laughs> question, <clears throat> because we got to dash, we get Carl, but what, uh, the, 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 the idea now that they've annexed these four territories in Putin's mind, or in, in the world, in whatever clandestine world of, of military, uh, uh, you know, rules are, if we attack the Iranians in that sector, now in his mind, that's an attack on Russia, but in, in my mind, it sure as hell isn't. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, you know, he's got the, he possesses the territory, he's got the nukes. If he, if he decides that's what it is, that's what it's going to be. Well, one thing's for we sure. Have to, we have to respond to it. Are, are this, this current we'll administration? I'll go back to what I said about the very beginning. We should have started working to end the hostilities early, um, and and that's not Monday morning quarterbacking because I said that at the time um, that we we need this to shut down ASAP. There's too many bad things that come from a protracted war. There, uh, we got a dash, but I'm going to say what I'm going to answer for Lou. Uh, he's going to say that. In Putin's mind, that was probably never an option. He's, he's not. He's well, not going to. He's not going to back down. So well, it, it may not have been an option, but we don't know it because we never tried. How many? How many? How many drugs? What is? What? What are you hearing about him? Uh, I lied. This is the last question. Uh, what do you? What are you hearing about him? I'm hearing he's almost going Hitler-esque with ten, fifteen drugs a day, and he's in bad shape. I, 
I, I don't know. I mean, he may he he has not he has not looked as uh, as vital as he did several several years ago. But you know, got to remember, he's he grew up he grew up with the average Soviet uh, you know age for for men or age of mortality for men was somewhere near sixty. So he's he's exceeded his his shelf life his his best buy date already. Um, I, I I don't know. I mean, I, I hear those I hear those reports, but. I think a lot of it's wishful thinking, um, and, and I, what what's driving him is what what I said right out of the gate. You know, just listen to his speeches. It's it's great Russian nationalism combined with this this picture of the Russians as the spiritual leaders of the world. Hey. well, thanks, Lou. Uh, thank you, Kevin. Uh, we're right back with uh, SP futures down twenty, Nasdaq futures down one hundred three. They must be listening to us. Uh, we're right back, Mr. Carl Denninger. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Well, we're back to Saxon Jackson. I'm talking about Andrew on the board. SP Futures now down 23. SP Futures down 113. It's markets look pretty sick since, uh, since really the two big updates this week. And, and most of it is these bonds are relentless. Another 
We're setting a half down on these bonds today, and the dollar continues to run up. Uh, Japan is 150 yen to the dollar, which is a new low for the yen. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty brutal in that in that area. Carl, how are you? I'm doing well. You know, it's uh, <laughs> I, I, I saw this piece um, that was being circulated a couple of days ago about the 10-year Treasury being about to literally blow up the world. And, uh, you know, basically, we're all doomed and, you know, whatever. And, and, and I, you know, I just had to chuckle because if you go over to FRED, which, of course, is, you know, St. Louis Federal Reserve's data repository that is publicly accessible, you can pull up all sorts of economic data that goes back for decades. And uh, it just, just chart out the 10-year Treasury on an investment basis, you know, constant maturity for, you know, go back as far as they, they have the data, which I think goes back to like the 1950s or something like that. Um, a four-year, 10-year treasury rate is actually at the lower end of the normal range. Okay. Well, okay. So basically, um, what you're saying is, with, with the people purveying this are saying, is that unless we have a distorted system continue that has for the last you know fifteen years or so that we're all going to die, and therefore the the normal sort of range that you would expect to see. And by the way, this is, this makes perfect sense. I mean, if you think about interest rates, time has value, and inflation is real. Okay, whatever the inflation rate at a given time is, is real. Um, and therefore, there should be nowhere on the curve ever that is below the rate of inflation. Ever. Um, I would agree. It certainly should never be below the rate of real interest, even if you don't have any inflation. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's a, 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 a positive rate of, of real interest is is simply a reflection of the fact that, you know, I'm sitting here today on the phone with you doing this interview and drinking an espresso and uh, and I can never have today back. No, uh, but and I, that, I think... And therefore time has value. I, I, as you know, there is no greater possible apostle of what you're saying than me. But I think that the message is uh, to Mr. Carl and everybody else is when you when you screw up and go too far one way or the other, like we did in in 2000 or uh, 1980 and 1981, you cause a massive amount of carnage, massive amount of carnage. Now the only my the perfect example I have for you this morning, and I'm not I'm not arguing at all. I'm just uh, expanding the discussion. If you if you want uh, to see the flip side of what you just first of all I agree with you we got to get back to normal somehow but say for instance my buddy Carl Denninger was a snap investor I don't know if you saw the earnings last night well yeah they got destroyed all right in January of 20 before the COVID fiasco even though we were pushing money out even then but not to the extent that we'd ended up uh, I'm gonna I'll, I'll interpret the graph here chart. Uh, snap is ten bucks. Okay, the Fed decides to pay to push money into the system foolishly, 
the extent that they did. I'm not saying they shouldn't have done any, but they pour 40% into the system. Everybody now is, is Snap and every other stock starts racing for the moon. Everybody's a genius investor. Everybody's buying every dip. Everybody is a momentum trader. Stock goes to $85 in, right. in, uh, in wherever. July of, tw- maybe August of 21, and now it's back below $10. Uh, anybody along the line who bought it up there and didn't sell it is this this is what the fed did and that's why that's why it's it's causing death fred <laughs> what, what what was the song uh, uh what was the, the song something i'll i'll read my notes when i'm dead fred or something like that the crazy i mean this and now if you bought it at 80 and now you're out god knows how much if you if you bought a thousand shares you're down 70 grand right. now if, if you don't have any other profits to ease that up against you're talking three grand a year for you better live for how many uh, 25 years, 23 years. Yeah, an awfully long time. You've got, a, long you've, time. you've got a problem, right? And, and well, ha- here's the here's the even bigger thing. Okay, how how do you think Snap got all those engineers and people to work for them? Oh, I, I, that I don't know. You know more about it than I do. <laughs> well, I well I do because I I lived in this world for a long time uh, before I started running my own company. They they handed out stock options like candy. Okay, I'm, well, I'm, I'm sure you're. You know, it would not surprise me at all. Matter of fact, I guess I should have suspected that. And well, I'll, I'll bet some people. Yeah, I mean, and and, and here's the thing. Well, I mean, I, I worked for a startup company that gave me stock options. They ended up worthless. Okay, that's that's what happens about ninety percent of the time in a normal market. Is that uh, you know the, the one out of ten succeeds. Right, I mean, I you know I took three bites at the apple before I ended up with you know with my successful internet company. The other two were shut down because they didn't go anywhere. And well, that happens. That happens all the time. It happens in the real world, whether it's a big company or a small company, or whether there's five employees or five hundred employees. It occurs. It's not unusual. Good ideas flourish. Bad ones, uh, and they don't have to be bad ideas. They can just be bad execution or just a bad time. Okay. Yeah, time, I mean, timing is there always right. the fact that the, the, whoever came up with it was an idiot. Well, <laughs> right? but, uh, I mean, there's an element of luck involved in, in, in some of this, too. Um, but the thing is, is that with all these people, oh, oh, I'm so rich. I, I can go out and I can get this $3 million house because I have these stock options. And, and I, I was given this grant when the company was brand new. And, you know, the stock was $5, now it's 80 bucks. Except I can't cash them because they're not vested. Well, but then you have the people who they are vested, and the chairman. You have to let the poor guy sell because they're going to expire. You have to let him invest them. So I'll bet. Well, I don't want to bet too much because I don't know about this company that much. But I've seen a bunch of others that somebody at the top, some CEO or some president, was forced forced to sell a million shares at. At eighty bucks, because his options were going to expire. Now he's got eighty bucks, bucks, and the rest of the shareholders got nothing. Well, yeah, but I mean, this is yeah, you know, this is one of the issues that comes up. This is this is a side effect, if you will, of you know, just like you know, drugs have side effects. Well, guess what? Uh, cheap credit is a drug. Okay, it's a very addictive one too, and and now we get the hangover. And plenty of people are going to get a heart attack out of it. And, and you know, the, the funny thing about all of this is that we 
when you look at it, the distortions that have been enabled by this and the bad things that have occurred. Uh, you know, a lot of people want to talk about, uh, you know, green energy and the environment and, you know, oh, we're, we're such terrible monsters and, you know, we need to, we need to move to all electric cars and all this other garbage. The reality of it is that, as I pointed out in my book, and I've been saying for a lot longer than that, behind every unit of economic output is a unit of energy. I don't care how you, you know, you try to justify it or get mealy-mouthed about it. It's the truth. So if you're going to have economic progress, you need to have a, a reasonably stable, dependable set of energy sources that can be used to drive that. If you don't have it, you're not going to have the economic output. That's just it. It's, it's, it's no more complicated than that. We have known since the 1950s and 60s how to build that sort of dependable infrastructure that is entirely within the United States, which relies on nobody outside. And one of the reasons we haven't done it is because we've had access to all this cheap credit. So you have God and everybody that goes through these boom and bust cycles in the oil and, and natural gas business, which have been going on forever. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you take a look at the natural gas chart going back, you know, to the, the Hover Fox, you'll see all these spikes at, at crazy prices, and then it comes down in flat lines. Why? Because when it spikes, it incentivizes everybody to go out there and stick straws in the ground, right? And then, and then. Too many people stick straws in the ground. The price crashes because there's more supply than there is demand. And uh, well, you know, gee, we all know what you know what that produces. It makes prices go down. And then, and then everyone goes broke. Well, and then you know, they're okay, everybody's broke. Now there aren't any straws that are producing anything. And, and the cycle repeat. This has been going on forever. It's not new. And yet, we have known how to have a stable system of energy production. I'm speaking specifically about molten salt reactors using coal as a feedstock to produce synthetic fuel. Is it going to be the, the free energy, nobody gets a bill for their electric power? No, it's not. But it is stable. And we have 500 years worth of supply to feed that in the United States without having to use anything from Russia, China, Australia, New Zealand, anywhere else, all here in the U.S., every bit of it. And we've known how to do it since the 1960s. We proved it. We know it worked. This is different than yeah. regular old nuclear. Well, the, different, the difference is that it runs at one atmosphere, at atmospheric pressure, because it uses a molten salt as a working fluid and as a coolant. And therefore, all of the, the Fukushima type of risks that happen if you have a loss of integrity don't exist. And in addition to that, it runs at a much higher operating temperature, which means thermodynamically it's much more efficient. You don't have to put it next to big bodies of water, like oceans, where there can be these things called hurricanes. So you don't have that sort of risk. You don't have the sort of risk that they had at Fukushima Daiichi, where they needed the cooling water, so they put it near the coast, and oops, they got a tsunami. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because you don't have to put it there. It runs at a much higher temperature. The other thing is because it runs at a much higher temperature and is more thermodynamically efficient, it's matched to the Fischer-Tropp process that the Nazis figured out how to use to, to produce synthetic fuel. You don't have to go to electricity first, which means from an efficiency standpoint, it's vastly superior to make synfuel. 
And by the way, we know the Sinfuel part works because SAS oil's been doing it in South Africa for quite a long time. Right. Because they have a ton of coal, but they don't have much in the way of oil. And so they use it to produce Sinfuel. And they, they do it completely conventionally without using any nuclear power at all as, a, as the energy source. But yet we have, we've known how to do this. We built one of these reactors and ran it at Oak Ridge for four years. And, and on, on the weekends, when the scientists were, were done, they didn't worry about it. They just turned it off and went home. They just turned the power off, literally. And well, it the, just uh, itself down. When I used it's to go to those... And then you come back in the morning, on Monday, all of the, the working fluid has solidified. It's now a solid. It's not going anywhere. It can't spill anywhere. It's in a tank. You turn the heaters on in the tank. You heat it back up. You melt it. You pump it back in the reactor. It starts running again. Uh, when I used to go to those crazy money shows back in the day, I used to speak for the CBOE at those things. There always were some people there from South Africa pushing coal technology because, you know, they basically had it because we, how many years did, because of apartheid, did we, did we not give them oil? Like 20? Yeah, but that's, I mean, SAS oil's been using this as a, as a means of producing synthetic fuel. And, and they didn't invent it. The Germans invented it. They did, Hitler didn't. Had, Hitler had a ton of coal. They did, the Europe has coal coming out there wazoo, but they had very little oil. And, and guess what? Tanks don't run really well on coal. No. Okay, they need a liquid fuel. So, well, if you want to actually fight a war, and by the way, planes don't run really well on coal either. You want to actually fight do. a war? You have to come up with liquid fuels. And uh, you know, Hitler had this little problem buying that after he started invading people. Well, you can have a locomotives running coal, or could, or did. Well, they can, yeah, sure. But I mean, that's uh, but the, that's the thing is that there's we've known how to solve this problem for a long time. Okay, we've just made a decision because when credit is super cheap and you play this game, then th- this all of a sudden doesn't. You know, you, you say, well, you know, gee, Carl, if, you, if we built these things, you know, the uh, you know the price of gas. Uh, would would be you know three dollars a gallon. It would be three dollars a gallon forever. Well, I I can get it for you know buck fifty right now because I you know Trump's in office and uh, you know we have a pandemic going on and there's and nobody's driving and therefore there's all this gas and nobody wants to buy it. Well, guess what? It's you know it's a buck and change a gallon. Well, okay. Um, why did all of this happen? A virus does not a virus does not shut down the economy. People's fear shuts down the economy. People's policies shut down the economy. The virus didn't shut anything down. We shut it down because we went crazy. And and our reaction to crazy was to stick a bunch of credit out into the economy because oh we have to we have this this and you know what, Chief, when you when you look at this this is the stupidest thing we could have ever done. There has been decades of research, economic research, done on this sort of thing. And every single study, up until 2020, when we did this, every single study said the correct thing to do in the event of a viral pandemic like this is nothing. Well, we have, we have studies for every single... I told you, told you a story about the lady who was on uh, uh, TV with the history of all the... Every, every president... Uh, that has come has come in has has asked people. Essentially, there's a a a, a book and a, you know a guide and what to do if this happens. I mean, Carol's absolutely correct on this. And uh, the and she said there there are all these big things. They're all about three inches thick. They started with Eisenhower, for God's sake. And uh, she said every one of them 
is updated, but they're all the same. If you read like the first one, he goes, she goes, we didn't do anything this time according to any of these books. Right. Well, and, and here's the other thing. Right, I mean, and, and people love to make this thing, you know, this, you still got people walking around with, with diapers on their face. Uh, and you know, not very many left, but there's there's still some people that are yeah. that they're absolutely sold on this crazy. Oh, by the way, a girl jagged by me this morning uh, with a with a uh, mask. With, with, yeah, with a rag on. Yeah, and you know, the thing that really gets me about that is that even within the realm of medical science, um, we we had we had a study that was that was it was published in 1980. Uh, Neil Orr did it over in the UK. He proved conclusively that even in an operating room where everybody is trained, because we're talking all trained medical professionals, when you took the, the masks off the surgeons and the nurses, the infection rate actually went down. I'm not sure. Why would that be? I just had a curiosity. Well, I have, I have, I have some hypotheses for this. The, the, one, of, the, one of the big ones is that you're concentrating contamination when you wear one. And and if you touch it, you, and, you know, I mean, let's face it, you know, you do, what, your, your face never itches, right? You never, yeah. you never go scratch. It's unconscious. But if you do that, now, now you've taken a concentrated area of contamination and you potentially have transferred it to the patient. But if you think about it, in an operating room, every single thing in there is supposed to be sterile, including yeah. the people. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the idea. You scrub in, you scrub, you know, use it before you come into the room and everything else. All the instruments, you know, it, all the material, everything that comes in there, and and of course, you know, it's because you you chop a guy open, everything's open. If you get something infectious in there, he's got problems. So they go to quite a bit of trouble to avoid this happening. And that, and the premise is that hey, you know, you got this, you got this orifice in your mouth that you're breathing in and out through all the time. And, and guess what? If you have some kind of a virus or bacteria in there, you could give it to the guy that you're operating on. That's bad. Okay, it makes it makes sense that you would block that, and it would be good. But think, but think about this, Chief. You have a filter in your furnace, right? Yeah. Okay. What do you think would happen if you went to your furnace and you turned around and put it back in the other way? Blow everything right back in. Okay. Um, what happens when you're wearing a mask? You're doing the same thing, probably. You're doing exactly the same thing because you're inhaling in one direction, you're, you're sucking the material, whatever it is in the environment around you, onto the mask, and then when you exhale, you blow some of it back out. All right, well, hey, let's get back for a second to the... Uh, let's say, for instance, we decided to do something intelligent. And I think... Aren't there... You don't want to tell me this. There's actually a little Matt uh, looked it up last time you ran. There's like, aren't there like two nukes under construction in the U.S.? Two or three? There are, there's a couple. Uh, yeah, but I mean, if you think about it. I think the last time I looked, there's something something in the order of a hundred that were running, and yet they're they're shutting them down. Well, they're getting so damn okay. old. Well, California, uh, California shutting down Diablo, which uh, which was a disaster, but not because there was anything wrong with the with the basic design. It's that they they couldn't manage to actually manufacture heat exchangers that didn't leak. Well, I mean, the ones here that are around Chicago, they they they're stunned by when Kamala Edison bought Allegheny or merged or something. I guess they had some Allegheny engineers, nuclear engineers that are terrific, and they 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 said they've got these things more efficient than they were today. They were they were they were they turned them on, but. There is some kind of a life to them, and I don't know what happened yeah. to one in Zion. Why they turned? But I guess my my question is, 
if you and I decided we wanted to build one today, how many years before we turn the damn thing on with all the, you know, where are we going to put it? Everybody bitches about that, and we'd try and move it somewhere else. Everybody bitches about that, and this. Uh, what what is the start to finish on these things? Two decades, three? Oh, uh, oh tw- uh, nowadays with all the crazy, twenty years. What I mean, is is but none of that has to do. I mean, well, okay, not none. You couldn't have one tomorrow if you decided that you were going to not do the crazy. But eighty percent of that, at least, maybe ninety, is the crazy. Well, what happens with some place like like Zion? I don't know. You were here when Zion was was uh, the thing's been shut off for twenty five, thirty years. I mean, it, it, it's the newest one, and it's the one that's not working. What was wrong with that thing? Was it was it the heat exchanger like you're talking about? No, I, di- I didn't. Uh, you know, I didn't look closely into what the what the deal was with Zion. Um, but there's there's a number of things that that happen. Um, some of them date back to when Jimmy Carter was president. Uh, Carter, one of the first things he did when he became president was he shut down the reprocessing industry in the United States uh, by executive order. And, and that was a wildly illegal thing for him to do. He had absolutely no authority to do it, but he did it anyway. And he did it because he did not believe that civilian nuclear power could ever be sufficiently safe and that we'd eventually screw up and end up uh, rendering some large part of our landmass and uninhabitable and you know, kill a bunch of people. Um, and therefore he did that because he knew that eventually without a closed fuel cycle, we would have the problem we have today, which is that you have nowhere to put the spent fuel, you have no way to produce more fuel except to stick, you know, dig, dig more stuff out of the ground, and that we would have a hissy fit about the idea of the economic and, and ecological destruction necessary to obtain the fuel, uh, and therefore we would stop using nuclear power. And it might take 20 or 30 years, but it would absolutely happen. And, and it, it was a, a completely intentional act on his part. Well, Reagan reversed it, but without a closed fuel, so, you know, the, the, the industry looked at this and said, you know, up yours, we're not going to make that. You, you cost us billions of dollars. We're not doing this again. It's well, not going to happen. Well, the couple that are being... And, and you look at what's happening now with fuel. They just had Bernie Sanders show up a couple of days ago screaming that oil was at the prices where it is today. Not all that long ago, you know, fifteen years back, but gas was was two, you know, two two thirty, two forty a gallon, and and today it's over three bucks everywhere, and in and in out in California it's you know six or seven, right? And he's saying, you know, oil companies are gouging everybody. Excuse me, the government declared war on the industry. The government has declared that fossil fuels are going to go away by force. Now you want them to make investments that have thirty and forty year lifetimes. Right. In increasing refinery capacity and getting more oil out, it, it, are you out of your mind? In deference to, uh, I'm not a, a huge Bernie fan, but uh, I'm going to say that on this one with Bernie, I the first thing I would do, Carl, if you and I were sharing the Oval Office, like the two co-councils, they used to have their own chair. If we were sharing the Oval Office, I would say, I just give a report on our Bob. It's two ninety-five. City of Chicago, right. it's five fifty. Suburbs, it's four fifty. It went up seventy cents in the last four weeks. How did? How exact? I'd I, I want to know why that is. It isn't the oil companies. It's somebody. But it's is it is it the summer blend? Is it? The, there's one. Well, it's a, well, it's, a hand, it's a handful of things. Okay, um, 
and, and, and by the way, here's another interesting thing. You know, I was out in the Tetons uh, for, for a half marathon this summer. And so doing that, I got to drive across the, you know, pretty much the whole country. And I was dragging my trailer behind my truck. So uh, needless to say, I was making a lot of stops to put gas in the thing. You know, out there, uh, I could get gas at the time was over four bucks a gallon. There were a couple places where it was close to five. I could get E85 for under three. Yeah, well, not anymore. Well, no, but but here's the, well, now, wait a minute. That depends on where you are. Right, well, okay. Okay, this is, in, and this is one of the big schemes and scams. When, when my mother passed, there was a, there was a very short period of time where E85 was available in the Detroit area at a, at, at a price that made it worth it. My truck can burn it. My car can't, but my truck can. Where you know you get about ten, you know a fairly decent mileage penalty using it because there's just less energy in ethanol than there is in gasoline, and so you have to do the math on it as to whether or not it's worth it. There was one period of time where it, where it definitely was, but it was only for about a month, and then all of a sudden it wasn't again. You go all around the Midwest, and it is priced in such a way that it makes absolutely no sense for you to put it in your truck or your car if your car or truck can use it. Well, I mean, no it, economic sense whatsoever. But there's some, these, these, but, local, these local things, what I'm talking about, is if if it's the summer blend, the Amico plant is having a problem, there's only three plants still in the Chicago blend, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm the governor, I'm going to say, hey, let's screw this summer blend thing for the, for the next, for, we only got a month left on it anyway, let's screw it, it's not worth a dollar a gallon to my population. Well, you look at what's going on in California. That's entirely deliberate. California has their own standards and their own rules. And the reason gas is seven dollars a gallon in California when it's three bucks a gallon here in Tennessee is because the refi- you, you cannot truck the the fuel here out there and sell it. It's There's illegal. A, well, I'm going to say after, after we do our uh, sports weather traffic, which we got to do right now, we'll have Andrew. Uh, he's our he's our Google guy. I'm going to say that there's probably 50 different local blends. Maybe yeah, 40. I wouldn't be surprised. The recipe futures, we're, we're getting smacked here. We're down 30. Nasdaq futures down 141. Uh, Bonds down another. Uh, the TLT is down another 170. So that's almost another 2%. So we'll give the, all these numbers when we come back. Be right back. Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is $7.99 
online on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it is time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks and, jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, North Bay Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Allen. Andrew on the board. SP Futures now down 30. NASDAQ Futures down 147. I said last night if we can bounce back at all in the bonds, we'd be a big update today. Well, we're not bouncing back up in the bonds. We're going the other way in the bonds. Uh, and uh, see, Dow futures are down 207. Individual stocks, uh, they're all just kind of down. United Healthcare down four. Verizon, uh, I'm sorry, Visa down 262. Verizon down a buck 54, even though they beat on top and bottom lines. As I mentioned earlier, Snapchat, ouch, down 311.768. Uh, that's not good. Um, Anyway, we'll do the rest of the world here. The rest of the world's not so hot either. We're in Asia, we've got the Nikkei down 116.4%. Shanghai, actually up three points, call that flat. Hang Seng down another 69. 16,211. Are they going to hold 16,000 next week? Doesn't look good. Yesterday, uh, Dow was down 90, S&P down 29, NASDAQ down 65. So down day, but nothing crazy. Over in Europe, we've got DAX down 209, 1.6%. FTSE down 75, 1.1%. Kick around on 122 a whole, 2%, and they've ducked under 6,000, 59.64. That's not a good thing. But here's the big story here. The bonds, 10-year up another 10 basis points, 432. Uh, the Bund, 251, up 10 basis points. Japan unchanged, 0.25. Well, Japan, in maintaining it here, has now blown through 150 yen to the dollar, which is a new low for the den. So they're, they're paying for it in their currency. Oil up 13 cents, 84.64. Brent up 18 cents, 92.56. Natural gas down 30 cents, 5.05. Our Bob unchanged at 2.65. We've got gold, not liking the uh, the stronger dollar, down 13 bucks, 16.23. Silver down 45 cents, 18.23. As it continues, it's massive volatility between about 18.10 and 19.20, say. 
So today we're uh, we're down 2.5% in silver. Next week, if the chart holds, we'll be back up. But who knows? Uh, copper down 5 cents, 335. Crypto, Bitcoin down on 290, 18,767. So <clears throat> under a 19,000 number, which a lot of people think is, uh, well, I think 18,000 is a new, we're worried number. And the U.S. dollar, this is really the story. The uh, uh, euro is down 7.7% down uh, to 97 cents of the buck. The pound down a buck, uh, 1.5% to 110. It's a huge move. Uh, this goes on every day here. Andrew, what do you got for us, Traffic Weather Sports? All right, it's 7.36 here in Chicago on Tuesday, October 21st. Over in sports, uh, last night in Thursday Night Football, the Cardinals won against the Saints 42-44. to and last night in MLB, the postseason game ended, or this postseason game, ended with the Astros victorious against the Yankees, 3-2. Now over Chicago weather, currently it is cloudy at 43 degrees with a high of 73. And over in Phoenix, we are at 67 degrees with a high of 90. Now for Chicago traffic, over on the Dan Ryan, the ramp to the outbound Stevenson is limited to one lane due to repairs from an earlier accident, so delays are causing over there. Uh, but other than that, traffic is beginning to build in the inbound Stevenson, Eisenhower, Jane Adams, and the Dan Ryan, as well as the outbound Kennedy. That's all I got. Back to you, Chief. The, um, Carl, I was looking, uh, last couple of days, and I know, I mean, I'm not going to compare us to, uh, to, uh, Turkey, okay, uh, in terms of leadership, but, uh, a few things is, is, uh, by the way, is, is the lady that wrote the book, uh, the new monetarism still on, on uh, Uncle Joe's uh, Council of Economic Advisors? Or has she been kicked off? I bet she has not been kicked off. Um, I'm looking here in the last year, the the uh, money supply for Turkey has roughly, I won't say doubled, I'll say it's up 80%. And even in, the, in this horrible, horrible environment they're in over there in the last year, guess what I have here? The... the their, their stock market is damn near doubled. Gee, I wonder how that happened. How could that possibly be? So I, you know, you can't you can't figure out exactly how that occurred, do you? Can no, you, you can't. I, it, you know, it just never ceases to amaze me. And and uh, I put up an article about that. I've, I've been screaming about this for oh crap, it was all the way back in the nineteen nineties when I was running my internet company. I, I was analyzing data all the time, of course, because. That's what you do when you're a CEO, at least if you've got a brain in your head. Uh, and <laughs> came to the conclusion that it was the growth in CMS, Medicare Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, that if it was not cut off, it was, going to it was ultimately going to destroy the economy, it was going to destroy the government, and might destroy our entire country. Uh, that was the level of risk we were talking about. Is that it, this was this was way worse than anything that Russia could do to us, and, and of course, uh, you know, or or you know, the, the crazies that decided to fly you know, planes into buildings and stuff like this. It, that all of that meant absolutely nothing if we didn't stop this. If we didn't we, we didn't cut this off. I don't have. We don't have yet the final month of the Treasury statement. Uh, it it should have been out by now. For the for last fiscal, because of course that ended uh, September 30th. It's not yet. I, it'll it should be in the next couple of days. I thought it'd be out by now because it normally is, uh, but it isn't. But I do have August's number. Okay, and this is to, to give you an idea of exact. Do we lose Carl? 
Ooh, he's still on. <laughs> Let's see. Give me a second. I'll check. All right. Yeah, this is a pretty interesting number. I mean, Carl, you got to move to a different spot of the room. He went off totally. Oh, am I still? How about now? There, you're good. You're good. All right, now I'm good. Okay. All right. So let me. Uh, so let's let's put this number out here. This is from August. Okay. So we got 11 of the 12 months. Right. Yep. Okay. 1.834 trillion dollars was spent by Medicare and Medicaid. That's a lot. Which is 34 percent of the total of everything the federal government spent. Now, how much do you think was taken in? Remember, Medicaid, Medicaid, there's no tax, right, that offsets this. How much do you think was taken in by the government in Medicare tax? I'm going to say a, a quarter at most. $300 billion. So 30%. Well, no, 16.7%. All right, okay, wow. Okay, now, a few years ago it was about 20 In other words... We have, in, in the first 11 of 12 months, we have a $1.527 trillion deficit in that one program. Uh, that's a lot. The entire federal deficit through those 11 months was 900 and some billion dollars. So it's all there. We, I mean, it's pretty much all there. Oh, it's not, it's not just all there. We have a $500 billion surplus. Well, I'm, if that wasn't I'm, the I'm, case, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, I, by, by the way, you know how all these people love to the, the, the politicians all love to scream about entitlements. You know the, the GOP, and and they always put Social Security in there. All right, Social Security took in nine hundred seventy-two point four billion dollars and spent one point one six eight trillion. So they have a seventeen percent operating deficit. That's not that hard to fix. I'm going to say. You I'm going to say the reason partially, and you could partially, uh, you know, you could put another half a percent or whatever on the uh, on the FICA rate, and you'd close that. I'm going to I'm going to say just out of, out of uh, off the top of my head, Carl, that the reason for that in Social Security is the incredible uptick in the last three or four years in people on disability, Social Security disability, and not the old age piece. Well, actually, it's it, it, the, the, the disability ramp goes all the way back to the 08 crash. Okay. Um, and, and yes, the, the reality is, is that once you get on SSDI, you almost never come off. Right. I don't I, uh, But these I things mean, are... Statistically speaking, it, the, once you get that, you, you die with it. How, uh, I have a question for you. I've, I've, you know, people that I, I know now are over sixty-five and are on Medicare, and I've, some people have shown me some of their bills in hospitals. And uh, Medicare is a pretty tough negotiator. I've seen, you know, oh, people yeah. people having a test where the list price is a hundred bucks, and then and Medicare pays like fifteen. Uh, you know, it's not like they're they are the toughest negotiator. Which which shoves the rest of it on the rest of the population probably, but it's another well, except, issue. Except here's the th- here's the thing with that, Chief. You got to be a little careful here. By law, Medicare cannot cannot pay under cost. Okay. And if a medical provider asserts that they did and can prove it, they not only get the you know whatever it was that they got screwed out of. 
they get a, a, an additional percentage on top of that. Okay, so there is a there is a huge incentive for the government not to do that because they get penalized if they screw the provider. So what this really tells you is that this Medicare is not undercharging. Okay, compared to cost, everybody else is no. I didn't, I didn't say they were. Table. No, I didn't say they were. What I'm saying is, that if you walked in for an MRI on your knee and had no insurance whatsoever, it's going to be six grand. Medicare is going to pay eight hundred. Right, but the, but the price the price with a reasonable operating margin is eight hundred. Yeah, it's not six grand. It's and it's not somewhere in the middle either. It's eight hundred dollars. Well, but that's what I'm saying. That's what Medicare is paying. But if you if you had to pay, it's six grand unless you found a place that did it cheaper. Which you well, could do. I, uh, d- yes, and that is exactly. But see, this is this entire system is designed to do one thing and one thing only, and that is to hose you. They don't care whether you die. They don't care whether you get better. They, none of that matters. All that matters is the cash flow. You just have to look at what happened in the last two days in the AICP with these COVID shots. Yeah. Okay. There is no demonstrated value to them in children. None. No. No. They were just approved and put on the list, and there and, and there's there's no reason to do that. Certainly, there is for measles. Well, I mean, if you for see crying it, out loud, measles, minute, you, you know, used to whack about one or two in a thousand people that got it. But in kids, COVID almost never does anything serious, unless unless you're compromised. I mean, well, you know, yes, there's kids with you know bad immune system problems and things like this, and, and it's very serious there. But in virtually every case, it's it's a cold or a mild flu in a child. Well. I'm not going to ask you to become a uh, a crazy conspirator, and I hope I'm not there either. But uh, let's just say that when you look at the the piece of paper I sent out to you the other day regarding how many people have been trading stock in, in these companies, oh, yeah. and all of a sudden uh, Pfizer gets approved to, for all these these new vaccines, I'd be really I'd really not want anybody who made that decision to own Pfizer stock. Well, yeah, but it's you know what it's it, it's even simpler than that. The entire reason this thing was put on the schedule is because the way the law is structured, the NCJIA, which was put into place after the vaccine manufacturers screwed up in the 1970s with the BTP shot, they made a bunch of bad batches, crappy quality control. It was their fault. A bunch of kids got hurt. A few died. Parents sued, and in response. The industry lost their insurance coverage, and they went to Congress and said, if you do not fix this so we're not responsible for these problems, which we caused, we're going to stop making all vaccines right. and kids are going to start dying of polio. Uh, and so that is how that came about. The only way for a vaccine to get onto the, into that umbrella of immunity, of legal immunity from the NCJI, is it has to be recommended for children. Well, okay, but I mean, we can. We have uh, fourteen minutes left, and you just open up about a twelve-hour conversation. How do you, how do you how do you do middle ground in any of this stuff, Carl? I mean, how do you? I don't understand how. I I don't think that anybody who owns Pfizer stock should be making a decision regarding a Pfizer vaccine. No, neither do I. But I don't, I don't think that anybody that owns a pharmaceutical company stock should have anything to say about approving any drug. I, okay, but what I'm saying is, you and I, uh, we just we just look like a couple of brontosauruses with that statement, because nobody in the world now, no young people even know what the hell we're talking about when we say that. 
What are you talking about? You're, that's that's why you own the stock. That's why you have the job. I mean, it, it, this this concept of of of, uh, of common decency and common morality. I don't know how far it goes, or if it's going to die with us or what. I, I I don't I don't see it anywhere. I honestly don't. I mean, I I don't. It's chief. It's all about the money, and that's all it's ever been about. Okay, uh, yeah, and, and the certain. more you embed that into the government structure. Uh, and and this is why trying to fix this is I mean you know I've I've had this uh, this long treatise up on my site and and part of it was in my book which of course you know was published more than ten years ago now about how to solve this problem within the medical system and and specifically in the context of the federal budget because if we don't it's going to blow up in our face. And in the fa- in fact, it's blowing up in our face right now. Without it's, a doubt. It is the entire reason that you are seeing this inflationary impulse and the Federal Reserve's reaction to it, and the Fed is not going to stop until Congress stops deficit spending. And Congress can't stop deficit spending Paul, without Paul, addressing it Paul where does not it have, resides. Paul does not have, and I'm not, this is not a criticism, because I, I, I would be in the same boat, Powell doesn't have that kind of stones. But what I'm saying is, I, this is not new versus old. This is. Can you imagine uh, what? Did, I keep going back to this lady in Arizona that absolutely we know she got paid a million dollars for for a change of a bill. Could you imagine Dan Inouye ever being in that situation, or if he was, wouldn't resign the next day? I I, I, I just can't get. I I mean, I, at some point. The corruption gets gets so corrosive that it destroys all sorts of decency, and, and any attempt to actually do something, do, you know, do the right thing. And, 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 I, there's a there's a point where you go there, Colin, um, and, and I don't know what it is. You see it in all, in all walks of society. You drive down the Dan Ryan, and everybody's somewhat civil. civil. All it takes is one moron to break out and go 100 miles an hour, and three guys behind him jump out and go with him. It's yeah. like monkey see, monkey do. It's I don't I don't you know it, and it doesn't matter what color anybody has or whatever I mean in another expressway it might be a, a motorcycle guy who's who's white that takes off and, and and all of a sudden three motorcycle guys are behind him they're all white. I mean it's not, there's there's some there's some something in the water that there always were a, a couple of, of people on this when I was on the CBOE and again a long time ago uh, there always were a few people who were sleaze bags that kind of bent the rules but by and large ninety eight percent of the people really really were, were uh, bought into the system that we have to be straight, we should be competitive, but we need to be straight. Otherwise, we're going to ruin the whole product for everybody and whatever. But w- once you cross that, that there's like, what was it, the Rubicon? Where in a, in a, you couldn't bring the army across the Rubicon in, a, in, in Rome or something? Uh, or was the Rubicon the one in Hades? I don't know, one of the two. Well, uh, how, about, how about Cortez? He burned his ships when he got to the New World. Yeah, well, that's... that's I mean, so you, you, you cannot let society get to the point where if you're not cheating you're not competing right and and, and but that's where we are and that's where we're at we are but it's how do you how do you educate kids how do you have a society how do you go to church and talk to people how do you give a how do you give a, 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 a what do you call a, 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 when the priest talks at, at the middle of the mass how, how do you give a homily and, and, and tell people that's not the way the world ought to be when when that is that's where we are if, I mean if you're not cheating you're not competing I mean right now the people who trade against you, when you put orders in, and now we're we're good at this, we we're good enough to combat that as best we can. They get a first look at your order, and they get to trade ahead of somebody else. 
That's cheating. <laughs> well, well, you know, look at the whole the whole spoofing thing. It was a big deal. I, you know, I did a video on it over Fourth of July holiday, you know, tenish years ago, and and uh, you know, get, I, I get this nasty call from the from the the CB say, saying, "Oh, why don't you call us and talk to us about it?" I'm like, you, "You're telling me you guys can't see this? I'm sitting on a retail trading terminal in, in, in the middle of the Fourth of July holiday, and I don't have any special access." You're telling me you guys actually had to have somebody tell you? Yeah. Hey, would you mind real quick? Because I know you know way more about this, and we only have eight minutes to discuss it, and we probably won't even take that long. Did you happen to check this thing out I sent you about this Bitcoin thing? Which which one? There's evidently um, the whole the whole sacredity. I'll be like Radar O'Reilly. The whole sacredity of this clip, uh, crypto thing is that nobody can get in there. That nobody can. Have, if you forgot your password, nobody can steal it. I don't believe any of that crap, crowd. But anyway, I'm just I'm just saying. Well, here's there's a there was a, a Bitcoin uh, hack evidently in 2016. Remember this the, the Bit Bitfinex trading platform. Remember those guys? Correct. Yes. There, there was a, a Bitcoin hack where they gained seventy million dollars from customer accounts, and his Bitfinex in 2016. Now, these all these bitcoins were allegedly lost, whatever the hell that means. Uh, and all of a sudden, one guy here, uh, Frankie Cavanos, this is a, who wrote this article, um, loses uh, uh, Jesse Joseph and Eamon Eamon Jabbers, the guy who's on TV all the time. I like him. Uh, he had 15 bitcoins in there. Evidently, at the time, they were trading about a thousand bucks. All right, so he said it was a. Now, all of a sudden, this is six years later, pushing seven. Evidently, this this Bitfinexed, uh place come out came out with some sort of a half-assed settlement for all these people, where they gave them other kinds of coins, which allegedly added up to the thousand dollars. But people went to sell them. It was twenty percent or twenty. But it, but somehow or another, the firm in their mind, thinks there was a settlement to all these people that lost their Bitcoins. Which, so that's a question number two. The first is, where did those go and who got them if allegedly the system is such nobody can steal them, which I never believed in the first place. So now all of a sudden, the Department of Justice somehow has found these things. And, and well, yeah, so here's, so uh, here's well, the basic finish, yeah, I, saw the, I saw the DOJ thing. Yeah, well, the, well now the people want because they, they, the company says they essentially have the settlement, and the people are are, are are held harmless. Well, now Bitcoin's twenty grand instead of one. Nobody wants their Bitcoin back. Now, my question is, I don't know if they deserve it or don't. I don't know. The, I don't know how the settlement was up. But if they don't get it, who the hell gets it? I mean, <laughs> well, this is this is this is the basic problem. Okay, so if the entire premise behind any kind of cryptocurrency is that the chain of digital signatures like when you go to a, a place on the website on the web i don't care where it is you can go to my site market-ticker.org and you, you you pull it up when you pull it up there's there's a little padlock on there okay and it says that your connection is secure and if you look at, if you click on that and it says all right um, you want to look at the certificate it says that for example my on, on ticker form my, my site is ticker form, which is vouched for by Sectigo RSA Domain Validation Server, which is vouched for by User Trust RSA Certification Authority. Now, that's the top of the chain, okay? So that particular top thing is in your browser. It's distributed by the different browser people. 
So Microsoft distributes a list, Firefox distributes a list, Chrome distributes a list, and they're all the same. And, and they all agree that these are trusted places. Bitcoin works on the premise that when you mine, when you quote unquote mine, in other words, you solve the math problem, you now sign that proof that you solved it. Then if you spend that, you sell that Bitcoin to somebody or some fraction of it, you sign that transaction. The next person that uses that particular coin to buy something or to trade it for something signs his transaction. And so you can go all the way back to the original, the origin of a particular Bitcoin. And that chain is public, just like it is on the web. Okay, except it can be infinitely long because you can infinitely divide a Bitcoin and you can trade it an infinite number of times. So you may have one. You sell me one one hundredth of it in exchange for a bottle of liquor. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> and so you now have the liquor, and, and you know, and, and, but this chain is there. So what the, the problem with this and what the DOJ supposedly has done is. So let's say that they seize somebody's assets and they now have this wallet that contains it, but they don't have a passport. So now they know where that went, who spent it up until that point, and potentially if some of it got leaked out, who spent it afterwards. And they can prove that in court. It is, it is absolutely mathematically provable, the chain of every one of those transactions, that every single transaction that ever took place. With whatever uh, let's go to, back to the part where how does how did somebody hack the stuff out of the place in the first place? Where did it sit for six years, and how did the DOJ find it? Well, if you if you can find some way to break the key, so you know it's just like if, if, if I use password as my password, um, not so good, right? Right. <laughs> okay. So if I have an infinite amount of computer power and an infinite amount of time, uh, now the question becomes: uh, How smart was the guy that that had the password on that particular uh, set of bitcoins that he has in his wallet. If it's if it's a very strong password, it's very hard to guess. Uh, it, it may be effectively impossible, but most people aren't that good. All right. So, so some dude, for lack of a better term, we only got a couple of minutes, stole them, but he couldn't get into them. He just has them someplace, and they just sat there for six years. Um, or, or the DOJ was sitting on it for six years, and, and but they weren't really sitting on it. They had uh, one of their, their supercomputers at Quantico working on it. Okay, so but now the, the people, but, but each, all the people who allegedly had their, their this guy lost 14 of them. Well, his password's right. still going to work on those 14, right? Uh, provided that they, were, that they didn't get transferred somewhere, yeah. If they're in his personal wallet, the, the, now the problem is, is what happens in a lot of these cases um, with with these exchanges is they're not in your wallet. They're being held by the exchange. It's kind of like holding stock and street name at your broker. But I think that's what happened. They had yeah, and, and and then there's trouble because you don't actually hold it anymore. I mean, you know, if I have a hundred shares of, of IBM in my Schwab account, I don't actually have the hundred shares. Schwab does. Ah, okay. Okay, because it's in street name. It's not in my name. The only way they are physically mine is if I have physical certificates sitting in my safe. 
which nobody wants anymore, nobody will take. <laughs> which is well, no, yeah, but but see, the thing is, Bitcoin's the same way. If you want to transact in a Bitcoin, the easiest way for you to do it is to have it held at one of these exchanges, because then there's you don't have to actually get it back into the system in order to be able to transact with it. So these these people, if they haven't been touched in six years, even though they allegedly got a settlement, if if, if nobody's done anything with them. I guess they're still theirs. Why wouldn't they be? And why? And well, where where are they? See, the thing is, if they're in if if they're in your own physical wallet, with your own physical, then, then they're not in an exchange. But if they were being held by one of these exchanges, well, then then this is exactly the same situation that you have with a brokerage that does something crooked when they're holding your stock. I think the, the exchange just wants them back at like twenty times the price as they were, and they're going to say they're theirs. <laughs> yeah, well, good luck. Good luck with that. If there's actually a digital chain that shows that they've been transacted out. Okay, can we can we think of any more problems in any, any given day? Like every week, this stuff just like multiplies. What do you make of his bond move down another two percent? How much lower are these guys going? Uh, well, I'll tell you what. If 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 you think uh, that this is over, no, it's not until, as I said, until Congress cuts it out. You've got to break the mentality, the Pavlovian dog thing, both within Congress and within the markets. And until it breaks, it's not going to stop. Well, you got to break the population of whatever I need the government's going to give me. That's a problem. That's it, that, too. <laughs> well, Carl, have a nice weekend, but SP Futures down 15. I know uh, you're, you haven't been there long enough for Tennessee to be your team, but it's nice somebody beat Alabama. Oh, hey, that was, uh, boy, and, and, and right at the end, too, yeah. right? Oh, I can't wait. I love it when Alabama loses. Them in Southern Cal. So, so did so. I. I. You know what? I've always wanted to see that. So okay. it was great. <laughs> take, take care. FC Futures. <laughs> oh, we're rallying here. Uh, FC Futures are not only down 8. FC Futures down 75. So some announcement came out somewhere. We were just down 30. So we're rallying. We'll see what happens. Uh, we'll tell you all about it on Monday. Stocks and Jacks. This looks extraordinarily bad. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708 349 3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.